again to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, two of the biggest questions that people ask themselves are ones we're going to uh, give a biblical answer to today, and they are these two questions. Who am I, and why am I here? What's my identity, and what's my purpose in life? And the Bible answers these questions in a great way, uh, but just for point of comparison, I thought it might be helpful to give a couple of non-Christian answers. Maybe you might consider the answers given by secular philosophy as an example. Uh, and you, you, if you do, you won't find the philosopher's answer to be all of that, all that compelling or certainly not all that encouraging. Uh, for example, uh, as to your purpose, uh, according to the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, who's the founder of existentialism, uh, he said, every existing thing is born without reason, prolongs itself out of weakness, and dies by chance. Have a good day. Uh, amen. Uh, in the same way, if you, if you look to modern science, you say, well, maybe philosophy doesn't have answers, but science does, surely. Uh, we can listen to what science says is why I'm here and the purpose for life. Uh, this is uh, the, the, uh, the famous biochemist, uh, actually won the Nobel Prize for founding, essentially, the discipline of uh, biochemistry. A Frenchman by the name of Jacques Monod wrote uh, in a book called Chance and Necessity that the universe was not pregnant with life nor the biosphere with man. Our number came up in the throw of the dice at Monte Carlo. About that. In other words, according to modern secular science, modern philosophy, you are a descendant of a collection of random mutations uh, to something in ancient biological history that resembles a chimpanzee and the universe to which you exist uh, and it itself are ultimately the product of massive chance and are therefore purposeless. That everything in this universe, including you and I, is essentially a cosmic accident and therefore purposeless, meaningless, and without any value or ultimate reason. But here's the reality. This is where modern philosophy and modern science end up, is because they must end up there. Logically speaking, if you reject that which is true, then what you must then believe is by definition that which is not true, that which is a lie. Amen? And having rejected the truth that is revealed in the revelation of God, then all answers from any other source are by definition going to be false answers. And by the way, they're also much more depressing answers. In fact, the early existentialists that, that, uh, that began to write these things, anybody ever read Albert Camus, The Stranger? Right? You get to the end of that book and you realize as this man is trying to figure out if he can find some way to find meaning that one of the big questions of, of life is why you should go on living at all if this is the way life is. 
But I'm happy to tell you that we do not have to believe and embrace and base our life on some kind of depressing lie. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have much, much, much better answers to these questions. Who am I and why am I here? We have the highest possible identity and we have the highest possible, the very best possible purpose for our lives. And we can answer why we're here and who we are with highly exalted truth. And I want to show it to you. It's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and if you would stand as we read verses 4 through 6, please, in honor of God's word. Uh, the text begins, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we have been blessed in the Beloved. And we are amazed that you love us and choose us and bring us into your family. Father, help us to understand these things. Help us to understand our purpose, why we're here. Help us to understand our identity, who we are. And help us to live in light of them, these incredible truths that you reveal to us of your grace and love to Father, help us today to make our time in your word an act of worship. There's not merely the transmission of information from this pulpit and this book to our minds only. Father, help it sink into our souls where it might transform us from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, you remember last week I described this book, this, this magnificent book, book of Ephesians as like a box of Godiva chocolates. I got one this week from my wife. I know she loves me. Uh, it is fantastic, right? This, this book has so much truth that I could spend easily. You know, I don't want to be Donald Gray Barnhouse who spent eight years in Romans, and I don't want to spend like two years in Ephesians, but easily I could do I could do one whole message on each one of these verses. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. Just do a, a week's worth of sermon on each one of these because each one of these ideas, believe it or not, is so massive. You can write an entire theological treatise on just what it is that God has elected us for salvation. Just what it means that God has adopted us as His sons. What it means that God has given us purpose in life. You can have these massive tomes. I've got some that you can borrow if you would like. Because these are rich theological truths. But here what Paul does in this book is he collapses down these massive theological truths into just very brief statements that contain a whole dump truck worth of truth. Now, I'm not going to back up the truck and dump it all on you today, but I do want to show you the glory of God in these passages and in these verses that are here for us. If you look at verse 4, you'll see that God chose you for holiness. And this book, uh, this verse tells you something about both who you are and why you're here. Do you see it? Who you are. 
You are a person who was chosen by God to be in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Now think about that for just a minute. Okay, I've got a daughter who's a mathematician, but I, I, I do history major math, right? So I like have trouble with columns of numbers and addition, right? But let me just put this in perspective for you for just a minute, okay? You are one of a little over 7 billion people in the world. And you are a unique combination of DNA that has to come from your particular parents. And your particular parents each had to have a particular set of DNA and on back the chain all the way to Adam and Eve, right? But look what the text says. God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. So I don't know how to do that math. But here's what that says. What the text is telling us is not that God uh, is like a fisherman who throws out his net at random and just pulls up whatever it catches. It's that God selects particular people with particular characteristics, particular DNA, and he chose them before the foundation of the world, before the world was made, before there were stars, before there was a planet, before Adam and Eve, before anything else existed, God knew you and chose you to be his. Now, if you think about this for just a second, what that means is, is that God orchestrated human history around your existence in his family. Not just people in general, but you specifically were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. And don't miss this fact either. You were chosen in Him, meaning in Christ. That, that God chose you and knew you and wanted you to be saved and brought you to salvation according to the text, before anything else in the universe. That was his purpose in making the world was your salvation. Incredible, isn't it? He planned for you to be saved and belong to him. Your sense of identity growing yet? I am chosen by God. Specifically. If you are a believer in Christ today, it's because you were chosen specifically by God to belong to Him. And all of human history, with all of its plagues and warfare and mass migration and continent-shifting uh, movement of populations across oceans, all of that came about because God is working in human history to bring particular people to faith in His Son. People whom he knew and chose before he made the world. It's incredible. And you were not only chosen, you were chosen for a purpose, and that purpose is holiness. Do you see that there in the text? To be holy and blameless before him. Now, a lot of people are confused by what holiness means. Some people think that Holiness is a title. So like if you go to certain kinds of churches, they will refer to the guys up front that wear robes as your holiness. 
right? Or some people think that holiness means that you're kind of dour and uh, and you're just kind of the uh, the the relational fun sucker out of everything that is going on in the world, right? And you come up and you you just tell everybody not to have a good time. You're just kind of the you know H. L. Mencken's definition of a Puritan is the person who lives in fear that somebody somewhere is having fun, right? And so they think, well, that well, that's what holiness is. Other people think, well, holiness isn't like that. It's just being like really, really serious about your faith. And everything in your life is just kind of centered around your faith. And, and some of these things might not be bad, right? But what's holiness? Holiness, if you'll forgive me, is, is kind of a theological junk drawer word. You know what a junk drawer is? You got one in your house? I got one in mine, right next to the stove. There's like batteries and, you know, phone covers and paper clips and other kinds of just assortment of stuff. Where did that where did that go? I don't know. Check the junk drawer, right? But holiness is kind of a junk drawer word, and what it is is it's a word that encapsulates and summarizes a whole big thing in one word. And that whole big thing is how... What is God like? And so his, his sovereignty and his omnipotence and his omniscience and his love and his justice and his uh, immutability and all of these things all kind of, if you want to ball them up together and call them one thing, you call it his holiness. It's a summarizing word. All the characteristics that God displays are his holiness. And so to say that God chose us for holiness is the same thing as saying that God chose us to reflect His nature, to be like Him. In fact, Peter says that. He says that He saved us to make us partakers of the divine nature. And what that means is, is that God purpose in choosing us is to make us like Him, to reveal who He is and what He's like. What's the purpose of your life? That God would make you like Him. And that you would come to reflect who He is and who you are. Now, if, you'll, if you're paying attention to your Bible, uh, you'll notice that the last two words of verse 4 really belong with verse 5. Uh, the legend of the, of, you know, the, the verses, the versification numbers in your Bible are not original to the text. They were put in in the 1500s and at the advent of printed Bibles so that you could reference the same place in the text because, you know, before the Reformation, nobody had a personal copy of the Scripture and the priest would tell you what it said, right? But, uh, but once you put the Bible in print in a language people could read, they needed to know where they were reading from. And so the legend is that the, the first guy to put the verses in actually put them together on put them in there on horseback, and that's why you wind up with numbers in weird places. Um, but in any case, uh, so the last two words of verse four really go with verse five, but they're important, and we need to notice them. So it says, "In love, he predestined us." For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I want to just break this whole sentence down in just a, a few words at a time. If you look at the words in love, what they're telling you is about God's motive. 
Why did God choose you? Because he loved you. Very simple. Because he loved you. He knew everything there is to know or was to know about you. And he loved you. He loved you. He still loves you. And he will still love you into eternity for all eternity. He loved you. He loved you from eternity past. He loves you through eternity future. He loves you. And so in love, he chose you. You are, by God, fully known and fully loved at the same time. Isn't that an amazing thing? He loved you. Predestined is God's method. Now, lots of people get very uncomfortable with this whole idea of predestination. We need to get more comfortable with it because it's biblical. It's right there in your Bible. That God chooses sovereignly to save particular people. He didn't pick at random. He didn't like put a, a, a wall of faces up somewhere of all the people who would live and just kind of throw darts blindfolded at the wall and whoever it hit, well, that's who we saved. No, God chose and loved particular people and chose them in particular to be his elect, to be his people. Well, why me or why you and not somebody else? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. You may as well ask me why I chose and loved and married Karen and not some other woman, right? Why? Well, because I love her. Well, why do you love her? I don't know. I love her, right? I love her. She's mine. And I'm hers, right? And God chose us because he loved us. He loved us and he chose us. And then if you look at the next phrase, for adoption as sons describes his purpose. God selected us to be his children. When a man adopts a child, there are many things that happen. Uh, among them are these, that the child, first of all, receives the father's name and is placed in his home. He is loved just like the other children. He receives the same inheritance as they do. And God has done the same thing for us in his loving and sovereign choice of you and me to be his children. He has given us the status of sons. I need to underline that word. Now, I know we're very uncomfortable in modern America with this use of, you know, masculine and feminine gendered language, right? But this is a gendered term that you need to understand and is important that you leave it how it is. Because in the ancient world that this letter was written to, do you know who inherited what belonged to the father? The son. Whether you are a man or a woman, you have before God the status of son. Just like Jesus. Amen? And that means that you, whether whoever you are, man, woman, child, a 
adult, senior citizen, little baby. If you belong to the Lord, you are His son. You inherit all that belongs to God our Father equally with Jesus Christ, the begotten Son. You get that? Is that amazing? That you have the same status before the Lord as Jesus Himself. Now, now certainly He's the firstborn. Right? He is the chief heir of all that belongs to God according to the book of Colossians and according to the book of Hebrews, right? Uh, so He outranks us in that sense. But nevertheless, we share the same status before the Lord as the begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We share in all that belongs to Him. Look at the rest of verse 5 with me. Uh, through Jesus Christ is God's means for bringing all this about. In other words, it's three words that summarize the gospel. We receive adoption as sons through Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Through Jesus. Our inheritance with God, our membership in God's family as as God's adopted sons is achieved by Jesus Christ at the cross through the empty tomb. And in believing these things, we receive sonship. And we enter into the salvation which, for which we were chosen in love before the foundation of the world. And this happens according to the purpose of His will, which is a further explanation of God's method in a bit more detail. Now there's a lot of mystery here in terms of God's plan, a lot of things I don't fully understand, but what I do understand is this, that in predestining you and I for salvation, God was working according to a plan and a purpose that He had developed prior to creation. And what we're seeing is the unfolding of it. Saving us was always God's plan A of there being a creation in the first place. Why did God make the world? Because He loved you and He wanted to save you and bring you into His family. God looked at you down through the corridors of time and space and history and He said, I will do whatever it takes to get that woman that man, that boy, that girl into my family. I love them. Is that an amazing thing? Is your sense of identity growing yet? Is your sense of purpose just massively magnifying? Because this is what God has done. That according to His plan and His purpose, He chose you to be His. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 gives us the ultimate reason why God did all these things. That He might display in you and me His good and glorious and gracious love. That's what verse 6 is all about. That He planned and purposed to save us from eternity past. That He chose us in love for adoption as His sons, that His great and glorious and gracious love might be put on display in you and in me. 
God blessed us with grace in the beloved, meaning in Jesus Christ, his son. Amen. God achieved his purpose in salvation in us so that all creation. From the angelic realm to the stars above to the fish in the sea and the earthworms that walk on that crawl through the dirt. Okay. That all things in all creation would see how great and good and glorious and gracious is the love of God for us. You see, way back before anything else existed, God was good and gracious and loving. But in order to properly put that reality on display, he had to reveal it to other beings besides himself. And so God brought brought creation into existence to reveal things about himself. That he might receive the praise and honor and glory and worship that he is due. God made us to be recipients of his glorious and gracious love now and for all eternity because he wants to reveal his grace to us. Now, let's circle back to our two great questions that I asked us at the beginning. You remember? I told you that we would answer today, who are you and why are you here? And here's the answers. You are the chosen, beloved, adopted, predestined son of God and heir of all creation in and through Jesus Christ. If anybody asks you, who you are, or don't tell them, well, I'm a plumber. Okay? That's what you do. Don't tell them, well, I'm an American, or I'm a, I'm a, a married guy, or I'm a father, or I'm a pastor, or any of that. Tell them this. This is your identity. I am the chosen, beloved, adopted, predestined son of of God. I am the heir of all creation. Beat that, Bill Gates. Right? I mean, really. You have the highest possible identity a human can possess. And what's your purpose? Why are you here? You are here to reveal God's glorious and gracious love and to become like God himself in holiness as his adopted son. Why are you here to put God's grace on display before the world? So how does knowing these things change your life? Well, I could probably go on for a while, but I'm just going to suggest four ways that this ought to impact your life today. Number one, it means that you are not an accident. I don't know what your parents told you in terms of how you came to be in the world. But from God's perspective, you were not an accident. You are here on purpose. You are here in accordance with God's intricate, incalculable design because he loves you and therefore your life has limitless value. No matter who you are, you are a person with limitless value because you are a person whom God loves. A person 
for whom all of creation was made, that God might bring you to Himself. And that means that whatever you go through in life, you can hold your head high and be at peace with the world around you because your status is the highest possible. It means that your life is purposeful, that you exist to become like God and reveal His love and grace to all creations, striving for holiness and revealing the glory of God's goodness and His grace and His love supremely revealed in the gospel is the purpose of your life. You and I have a job, a high and holy calling, and we are therefore empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry it out. Our life is to become God's holy people who reveal His love. And how do we do it? By speaking the gospel and living out the calling of the gospel in our lives that we might put God's glory on display. It gives you answers in evangelism. Every unbeliever that is out there wonders why they are here and what his or her identity is. And for many, many people, the answers they come up with are deeply unsatisfying and, and produce in their soul the continual sound of their hollow soul beating up against their meaningless life. And so they try to suck anything they can into that hole. And they come up with answers that don't really matter. So they think, well, if I just get the right job, that'll give me meaning and purpose. That'll give me a reason to be here. Give me importance. Well, maybe if I don't get the right job, maybe I, if I can just get the right stuff the right experiences in my life, the right accoutrements. Uh, you know, if I get a Tesla, that'll give me meaning. If I get a wife, if I get children, that'll be, that'll be meaningful. Or they say, well, you know, really, I can't come up with any really great purpose in life, but, you know, I'm just going to chase whatever lusts and desires that I have because when I pursue those, I feel good at least for a while and it deadens the pain of my empty soul. People around our world are crying out for answers for who they are and why they're here, and we have them. And we can offer them to people and tell them that Jesus Christ fills completely the void at the center of their soul. We can tell them that you are here because God loves you. And He wants to bring you into God's family and experience His love and movement toward holiness that gives us a secure identity and a meaningful reason to live. And we have the privilege of declaring these things to people who are desperate to hear them. I've been the, a, a board member at Great Oaks Camp for 11 years, and one of the things I love to do up there is they have this beautiful pond that's catch and release fishing. And I don't know how many fish are in it, but they're biting about every time I go. It's great. Okay, You just throw your line out there. Sometimes you don't even have to have bait on it. And you just, you know, you hook fish. And, you know, you don't know what fish you're going to catch, but they're there and they're hungry. Amen? 
And the picture we get of evangelism in the Scriptures is precisely that. Of God calling fish to the hook. And of us simply being there to reel them in. Because God has chosen people that He is bringing to Himself. And so, you know, just like at Great Oaks, if you're up there fishing, you don't know how long it's going to be between bites, but you're going to catch fish. Might not be today, might not be tomorrow, but someday soon it's going to, you're going to be reeling them in, right? Evangelism is just like that. You get your line in the water. God brings the fish. You don't know which fish are going to bite, so you keep throwing your line up. But there are fish in the lake, and they love to eat. And God will bring them to you. Last thing, it fills your heart with joy and the love-motivated need to worship God. When you really lay hold of these truths, that God loves you, from everlasting to everlasting, that He has chosen you and adopted you and given you purpose and meaning, that He has filled every part of your life with the reality that He is a good and gracious God who has done everything possible to bring you into His family and has planned to do so from eternity past and will continue to do so for all eternity in the future and that you will get to enjoy His presence for all your existence, which never ceases. It makes your heart sing. Amen? Listening this morning with Karen as we were getting ready to David Crowder singing, Oh, how he loves us so. How he loves us. We are his treasure and he is our prize. Amen? And he loves us. And it makes my heart sing with joy and the need to worship God. And I hope that it makes your heart sing with the need to worship God. Because we need to worship a God who is this good, who is this amazing, who is this gracious, this kind, this intricate in His design, bringing us into His family. So let's pray. And then we want to take communion and then we need to sing some praise to this God. Amen? God, our Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are so good that you have been infinitely kind to each of us to see us and choose us and love us from eternity past and to bring us then into your family, to do all that is necessary through the Son of God and by the Spirit of God to bring particular people whom you love from forever ago and will continue to love forever into the future into your family. Father, these things, as David said, are too wonderful for us. Too vast is the sum of them for us to get our arms around. But Father, we pray you would fill us with joy as we consider them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is